Good morning. Uh, ooh, please turn your cell phones to silent. I'm going to do that too. Um, hey, I'm Ben. Uh, some of you guys, and a lot of you hopefully know me, uh, I'm the student minister here. Those of you who do know me are thrown off by what I'm wearing. You're looking at me right now, and you're like, Ben, you're not wearing your traditional t-shirt with a subtle stain on it, uh, but I have to go preach upstairs after this, so uh, when in Rome. Um, hey, if, if you don't yeah, I think the last time I dressed like this was a wedding. It was my own. <laughs> um, if, uh, if you don't know me, um, just uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I am married. I have a super smoking, beautiful wife who um, I, I, I'm hesitant to tell this story to people because they go, dude, that guy's crazy. Uh, but I actually, I met my wife, and I, I think right away I had a sense, dude, I think this girl's the one. And we were friends for a few weeks, started dating. We dated for a month, and, uh, and I popped the question. Yeah, and it was, it was funny. Um, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy. Um, best decision I ever made. We actually had a group of like five people who we highly, res- we highly valued their opinion. We had done ministry with them. Uh, we had, they, they knew us well, and we, we essentially gave them veto power. We said, hey, this is where we're going but if you tell us to slow down, we'll slow down. And they all gave us the green light. So nine months later, her last name was Depew. And uh, best decision of my life. I also have a brilliant dog. Uh, <laughs> dude, he's so smart, you don't even know. His name is Ari. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's awesome. You'll meet him sometime. Uh, I, I did not uh, necessarily grow up in the church. Uh, I would, um, we would hit it on holidays, my family. Uh, I came from a great family, just not a church-going family. Uh, I remember, I have a couple of distinct memories uh, as a kid experiencing the church. Uh, memory number one was um, uh, my family, my mom kind of drove the train on this and was like, hey, we need to start going to church because that's what good American uh, families do. They go to church. So we, went, we decided to go check out this church we didn't really know anything about. And it was a new church. And I just remember, I don't remember much about the worship service, but I do remember how it ended. Uh, They had like the closing song and the prayer. And then they had everybody get up and circle the auditorium and like hold hands and pray. And then you had to give like eight people a hug before you left. And I just remember like the the guy says, so go find eight people and hug them. And uh, like, I remember literally I look over and the dude next to me is like this six foot five guy with this huge beard. And I just remember going like, oh God. <laughs> he just hugged me and I think I just stood there and maybe peed a little. <laughs> um, but uh, that was like experience number one with church. Um, and uh, I remember uh, my grandmother was kind of the, uh, the spiritual one in the family, uh, the sort of the spiritual torchbearer. And uh, when I was... 12, it was like the 12th, I was baptized when I was a baby at some church, I don't really know where, and uh, they, my grandmother decided to give me a present, and it was about this, you know, wide, and it was, it was the shape of a video game, so like I get it, and I'm like, shoo, you, you got me a Bible, <laughs> thanks, you got me a Bible, and it went on the shelf, um, and I, I, I picked, actually picked it up one time, like out of some sort of maybe uh, like religious guilt or, or something, and I didn't have, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know where to start, so I just start like I'll just kind of start in the beginning, and uh, 
started reading Genesis, got bored, randomly opened up to another page, and I, uh, I hit this passage in the book of Numbers where somebody offers an unholy sacrifice and fire comes out of the altar and devours them. And I just remember being like, poof, poof, shelf, didn't touch it again. Scared me. Because uh, I was like, I know me and I'm not that good a guy. Uh, and if, the, if that happened to that guy, I deserve way worse. So I, I, didn't, I didn't touch it again uh, until I was, uh, was actually 17. And family was living in South Bend. And believe it or not, people laugh now because they, they don't really see this in me, but I was a very shy kid, very introverted, very insecure. Uh, we moved a lot growing up. And now I, I'm like, yeah, it'd be easy to meet people if I moved. But at, like, I moved in middle school. I moved in high school. And I was like the kid who would be sitting over in the corner of the lunchroom with his lunch tray by himself, right? And everybody else is like, I think that kid's going to kill us. But I was just shy. Um, so I found out going into my junior year, I, like at my junior year, I had finally come out of my shell. Like I had, I had a lot of friends. I had a girlfriend. I was getting, I was sort of becoming one of the, you know, the cool kids. Uh, and uh, I was like, life is finally coming together. I come home from school one day and my dad calls me in and says, Ben, I got news for you. We're moving again. And uh, so this is uh, going into my junior year. So I was, I was not happy about that. And as the, as the reality of that sunk in, uh, in hindsight, I think I, I sunk into a little bit of maybe a mini depression. Uh, we moved to Cincinnati. I knew nobody. My life was get up in the morning, go to school, come home, take a nap, eat dinner, do some homework, repeat. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be my life because I hate school. And then I'm going to graduate. And everybody hates work, so I'm going to hate work. And I'll get this job that I hate. And then one day when I'm, like, I don't know, too old to do the things I want to do, I'll be able to retire. And then I'll die. I was like, yay. <laughs> um, I was lonely. Um, uh, I remember... Uh, going back to visit the girlfriend, thinking, oh, yeah, it was like my first girlfriend, so you always you think you can make it work, you know, and uh, I go back to visit her, and she picks me up. she just gotten her license. She rolls up in her parents' car with the new boyfriend riding shotgun. <laughs> can I please get a that ain't right from the audience? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so I, I, I remember uh, sitting on my bed, uh, in my bedroom, thinking, like, like literally thinking, I don't, I, there's nothing that will make this better. And for whatever reason, I thought, maybe I should read the Bible. So I picked it up again, and I decided to start reading it. And again, I didn't know anything about it. So I opened up in Genesis 1 and just started reading. And there were parts of it that scared me because I didn't understand it. Like the whole sacrifice system. Like I didn't know anything about Jesus, about grace, I just saw this system where when you don't measure up, you kill an animal. <laughs> and I was like, I sin multiple times a day, and I don't own any goats. I don't know what to do here. <laughs> so um, I would actually, but my heart was in a good place, I think. I remember, uh, I remember one time I was just a total jerk to my mom. And you know, after I apologized to her, I still felt like I had to sort of make, make restitution. So I, I just gotten this new CD. Uh, if you're under the age of 18, a CD is a shiny thing that is like, it's like a physical MP3. And I took it and I, 
I broke it because I thought like, hey, I'm going to like sacrifice to show how sorry I am, you know. Um, and I still didn't really feel any better. Uh, started going to a youth group. I uh, had a youth pastor who was like, dude, you need to read a gospel. <laughs> you, there's, there's actually good news in the Bible. Uh, the, the good news of the gospel is not uh, you're a sinner and you're screwed. <laughs> um, there's actually good news. So I started reading it, and I just remember, like, it took me a while to get my head around it because it was the idea of the, the, the idea of grace, of like true grace, was so much different than anything I had ever really contemplated. But as I started wrestling with what that meant, like, I started feeling this weight lift off my shoulders. I started feeling this, like, this joy. You know, and I would read the Bible, and there was something about it that I just, I remember the first time I read it, I knew, like, this was what I had been, this is the thing that I had been looking for my whole life. Um, <clears throat> I was particularly drawn to the Old Testament, which, I, yeah, I, I feel like most people I talk to go, dude, the Old Testament is so weird. I don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is weird. But there's, some, there's a mysteriousness about it. There's a, there's a little bit of a, an unpredictability about God in the Old Testament. I grew up thinking that Jesus was um, this really mild-mannered, soft-spoken, wimpy, white guy, like the only white guy from Israel, <laughs> and uh, you'd, you'd always like go to a Sunday school class and there'd be a painting of him like stroking a lamb, you know, and I just thought, I don't really know if that appeals to me, but um, I started reading the Bible and I saw this, I saw this strong male father figure in God and I was just drawn to it, and one of the books uh, that I was particularly drawn to was the book of Judges. Uh, if you've ever read the book of Judges, like, it's kind of PG-13. Like, think of it like if Mel Gibson ever directed a book of the Bible, it would be the book of Judges, okay? But there was something about, like, the unpredictability of it, something about God plays by his own rules, something, I think I had seen a lot of religion growing up and a lot of dead religion, and I knew enough to know there wasn't life in it. And there was something about the book of, of Judges that kind of blew that up. So, if you have a Bible, do me a favor. I'm going to share with you a story that uh, impacted me early on. Open up to Judges, chapter 3. It's on page 375. It's about a half inch from page 1. Judges is a pretty interesting book. Um, Israel goes through this cycle Right? They've come into the land that God's promised them. And God is like, look, I, have, I don't have like a ton of rules. My, the biggest rule is just don't worship other gods. It's kind of like getting married and saying like, hey, I just have one rule. Just like don't hook up with other girls. Like it's pretty simple, right? Just don't worship other gods. And uh, Israel, just for some reason, they can't seem to do that. And they go through this cycle where they'll be worshiping the Lord in, in Life is good. There's peace in the land. Things are going well. And then what will happen is they'll see one of their neighbors worshiping like some little statue with four arms. And they're like, dude, we need a statue with four arms. And they start worshiping it too. And then the Lord takes his hand a blessing off of Israel. And oftentimes what he'll even do is he will raise up a neighboring country to come in and invade them and enslave them. Okay? Which, when I first read that, I was like, dude, God's a, God's a jerk, man. That's harsh. 
But as I kept reading, I realized that God would often do that not to repay Israel, not to um, pay them back, but to actually bring them back. God would let them suffer so that they would realize their need for him. And then what would happen is they'd turn back to the Lord. And then it says that the Lord would raise up a deliverer, usually a military leader of some type who would, uh, who would lead Israel into battle and into freedom. So this is one of those stories right here, Judges chapter 3. I'm going to read, follow along with me. We'll start in verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, the king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of the Palms. It's Jericho today. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So there were people in the land of Israel who had only known foreign rule. Um, If you're a high school student today... You would have spent your entire life under this guy's rule and this guy's oppression. Verse 15. Again, the Israelites, you see the pattern here. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. Now, it's interesting. Um, if you actually look at the, the Hebrew that this was originally written in, um, when I was a kid, I thought the original language of the Bible was King James. Um, the one that Shakespeare wrote. <laughs> and, uh, but as I, I started studying it, uh, when it says that Ehud was a left-handed man, that can be translated a couple different ways. It can mean, literally, he was just a left-handed guy. It could mean that he had uh, either lost or had his right hand severely injured or impaired, so he couldn't use it. Uh, essentially, he had maybe had it amputated somehow, Okay which is way more likely because back then, uh, if you were left-handed, they just taught you how to use your right hand. <laughs> like, so uh, God raises up this guy with what most people would describe as a, a physical a weakness. Right? If you look at most of the heroes in Scripture, you see something about them that, at least by the world's perspective, would disqualify them. Okay? Uh, if you have an uh, impaired right hand, try to join the Marines. See what happens. Not going to get in. Um, so, we'll continue. God raises up Ehud. Verse 16. Now Ehud made up a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute. Careful getting on the horse with that sword, Ehud. Sorry. Uh, he went, and, and there was this practice they would do back then, where when one king conquered another land, they would, um, they would, you would have to go, they would, you'd send a representative with a whole bunch of, like, your national goods, all right? A whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of gold, a whole bunch of valuable things. And you would go, and you would present that to the king. And you would take a knee before the king, and you would sort of present your tribute. And it's fascinating. Usually what would happen is the king's gods like literally the statues, would be posted up right there. And the theology behind that was you are swearing and vowing before these foreign gods that you will serve, obey, submit to the king, etc., etc. Little does he know that Ehud has a huge knife strapped to his thigh. Um, Verse 18, after Ehud had presented the tribute, 
He sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Elon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, his attendants, leave us, and they left. And uh, this, is where, this is where things get messy. Uh, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace, which we're going to find out was the bathroom. Awkward. And he said, I have a message for you, a message from God. And the king rose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Gross. Then Ehud ran for his life. <laughs> Closed the door. Says all the king's attendants were like, just kind of waiting outside the bathroom. Like, man, he's been in there a while. What's going on? You know, uh, maybe we should check on him. I don't want to check on him. You check on him. I don't want to check on him. So finally, after like Lord knows how long of like that awkward tension, they finally knock on the door. No response. They open the door, and they see their king. He's down, right? King down. <laughs> and Ehud bolts back to his people, and he says, and essentially blows the battle horn. The Israelites rise up, fight the Moabites, and they actually win, okay? Which, the other fascinating thing here, um, Israel was a farming culture, uh, most of the near Middle Eastern uh, nations were, were very much warrior hunting cultures. So literally, the mental picture that I get here is a bunch of Moabites running at the Israel line with like, you know, clubs and swords and shields and armor. And then I picture some Israelite guy with like a shovel. <laughs> but they won. So I... I'll give you two things that I think are fascinating about this story, um, and I'll let you do with them whatever you want. Number one, I think it is fascinating the people the Lord chooses to use. He almost always chooses the flawed, okay? You see it here in, with Ehud. The very next character, his name is Shamgar, uh, and it says that he killed, I don't even remember, I think it's like a thousand Philistines with an ox goad. An ox goad is like, a cane with a point on the end of it that you use to like get your oxen to move. All right? So the Philistines are this nasty warrior culture, and this guy has a, a pointy stick, and he kills a thousand of them. And it's funny, uh, I had actually a professor at CCU, Dan Dyke, brilliant guy, shared this with me. Uh, Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. Uh, it's actually a Canaanite name, which essentially, uh, and it's a female name. Now back then, uh, you would never say, hey, that's Ben, the son, of, the son of Judy. You would never refer to me by, as the son of my mom. You would refer to me as the son of Sam. Unless, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I never caught that before. <laughs> Hi, I'm the son of Sam. Uh, yeah, welcome. The only way that you would refer to somebody by their mom's name is if the dad wasn't around, Okay. They also realized that Shamgar, the root of it, comes from the name of a Canaanite goddess. So essentially, they think that his mom was a temple prostitute. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would be rough living in modern-day America. Imagine living in a theocracy. 
bad. Not, you're not going to be sitting at the cool table at lunch, okay? Yet this is the guy that the Lord chooses to raise up. Even Samson, like if you ever watch like a, I don't know, the little kid cartoon of like the story of Samson, it's always some real big dude It looks like he's on HGH. But really, it's funny, every time after he whoops up on the Philistines, they ask one question. Do any of you remember what the question they ask is? They say, where does his strength come from? If, it, if, if the guy looked like Thor, they would go, I think his strength comes from his 18-inch biceps, right? I think Samson was probably a relatively small, average-looking guy, okay? But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he did, he did extraordinary things, okay? Second point that I think is very interesting, okay? Um, I always wondered... How did Ehud know that the Lord was asking him to do that? Like, I just, I picture Ehud <laughs> hanging out with his friends, and he's like, hey, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to go kill the king of Moab, and then we're going to raise up and, and defeat them and get our freedom. And his friends kind of were like, really? Because you smell like weed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the Lord told you, or the Lord, like, the Lord told you? What do you mean? I think... Um, Here's my theory on this, okay? I think one of two things happened. I think either Ehud had learned to discern what the still, small voice of the Lord sounds like, or Ehud had spent enough time with the Lord that he knew the Father's heart, okay? You see all the time, well-intentioned, not just Christians, people of all religions, uh, misinterpreting what the Father's heart is, I think. Okay? Um, have you ever heard a Christian maybe say something, maybe they even quoted a Bible verse, and you're like, you're, yeah, the Bible says that, but something about that feels wrong. Have you ever had that happen before? I think what happens is sometimes we can get the letter of the word right, but we miss the Father's heart. Okay? Um, I think you figure out what the Father's heart is by spending time with the Father. Um, if you ask me if Kevin Mitchell likes Ohio State, I say, no, it makes him, like it makes the vein in his head swell up, right? Because I've spent time with Kevin and I've learned that about him through years of youth ministry together. If you ask me about my dad, um, I can tell you not just facts about him, but I can tell you the things that he values. I can tell you about his heart because I've spent time with the Father. And I think sometimes as Christians, we turn God into a math equation. We memorize Bible verses. We go to Bible. I, went to, I have a degree from Bible college, okay? I've done this. I've been guilty of this. Uh, we say, I know the Lord because Second Chronicles 7 says, Poof. and the truth is, we know a lot about the Lord, but we might not know the Lord, okay? So, two things I want to leave you with right now. Number one, spend time with the Father, okay? Like, spend time in the Word. Spend time not just praying, spend time listening, all right? Spend time before the Father, just being quiet, okay? Thing number two, uh, if you're anything like me, you're very aware of your weaknesses, your inadequacies, and of your failures, Okay, it's easy to think, yeah, the Lord won't use me for that thing because I fill in the blank. Okay, maybe you've had, maybe you've, uh, man, 
I could, I could list uh, the, the actually comedic ways that I mess up on a given day. Um, and then some other ones that are maybe not so funny. I remember when I was, this one is kind of funny, I remember when I was in uh, high school, there was this kid, and he was kind of like that, he was that kid that smells bad. You know what I'm talking about? That kid where you're like, this kid smells like he just got done working at a farm, but like, I go to Lakota East, I don't think that's the case. And, uh, but he was a really nice kid. And I remember I had just become a Christian, and I was sitting in class, and I guess he knew that I had become a Christian, and we were taking a test. And it was science class, and this teacher, um, Luis Polo and I were actually in this class together. If any of you know Luis and Sarah, they go here to Life Spring. And we were in this class together, and we were like the kids who were always late. <laughs> you know, we were the kids who were like, we were in Saturday school a lot. Not because we were bad kids, we just, we were just a little absent-minded sometimes. Um, or a little talkative. <laughs> yeah, not that funny, dude. Deitch is back there cracking up. <laughs> um, and it, it's, I, this kid, it, literally, we finished taking this test, and this kid, um, he, he looks at me, and he's like, so you're a Christian? And I'm like, oh, God, this kid's going to talk to me, and I'm going to get in trouble, and I'm going to be here on Saturday morning again. I was here last Saturday. I don't want to come again. And uh, I was like, so I'm trying to give him, like, quick answers to, like, appease him. He's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know? And he's, he started asking me more questions about the Bible, and I'm just, like, trying to give him, like, a little, like, one blurb, you know, <laughs> just trying to shut him up, basically. And he keeps asking me questions. And uh, it, it, later on, it finally gets to the point where he's like, so if I wanted to, like, become a Christian, what would I do? <laughs> and, I, and at this point, I'm like, all right, I get, this has got to be the Lord. I got to actually man up. And so kid ends up getting baptized. I ran into him at a UDF a couple years ago. He was doing, like, a bunch of short-term mission work. This kid was, like, following the Lord recklessly with his life. But literally, like, I think a chimp that knew sign language could have led this kid to Christ. Like, I didn't do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord, I think, almost prefers to work through our weaknesses because that way we don't get in the way of him getting the glory. Okay? So what are the big ways that the Lord wants you to step out this week? What are the ways, guys, that the Lord wants to use you to lead your family this week? Ladies, what are some of the ways that the Lord wants to use you to model who Jesus is to your family, to your friends? Like, single people, students, like, when you're at work, when you're at school, like, how does the Lord want to use you as a missionary to show, to not just tell people what he's like, but to show them? So take that and run with it. I'm going to pray for you guys, okay? God, um, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are in this room. Uh, I thank you uh, for your bride and how you continually uh, pursue her, pursue us, um, despite the ways that uh, we constantly stray. I pray uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, uh, for everybody in this room, God, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would grow us in our understanding of who you are and of what your heart is, and that you would use us in powerful, powerful ways despite our weaknesses, God, and that you would get the glory for that. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.